no disrespect to anyone who visits it, I have way more fun than they do. Like, because <laughs> there's just there's so much stuff that's behind the scenes, or just these insanely intelligent people who've done these impossible things just in the building. You go have coffee with them, be like, I'm looking for something to talk about. I, I never have to find a story. They, they'll just come up in random right. conversations. Museums are like houses that store stories. Yeah, pretty right? much, yeah. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Nick. Hello, Nick. How's it going, man? Uh, it's going good, yeah. So I'm going to describe where I am. Uh, <laughs> normally I do that because the sound in the background is going to be an issue. It's kind of the opposite today. I feel like people are going to be in shock uh, at the quality of the sound. We're in a, a, a sound, uh, like a... a what, 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 do you, what would you call this place? Well, okay, so the uh, so we're in a basement of a building adjacent to the British Museum, which is owned by the British Museum. Uh, it's currently not being used, and I have argued for a little while that I think we would benefit from a sound booth, not just because I would like to do podcasts, but much more importantly, when we do audio guides and that kind of thing, it costs a lot of money to rent a place, and actually building it, particularly building it yourself, because it costs about a grand and a half to get someone to build it professionally so I hope it doesn't fall down on you and on top of that there are some amazing people here who hopefully when I have all the rest of the kit it will be bulletproof so I'm put, setting them up with like a little Zoom H6 thing and a microphone where I've worked out basic levels it can be slightly quieter than it needs to be because it's can't hear an echo so actually it'll be yeah. very easy to adjust and anyone who brings someone important can come down here and just use it so we have an oral so it's super in. easy to use pretty, yeah, that's pretty a great much. idea actually yeah. so yeah so we're, we're kind of downstairs or as you say adjacent to the yeah. British Museum uh, and we're in a sort of square box in a in a bigger room and the bigger room is much more echoey but then yeah. you come in here and there's no echo at all uh, but there's no lights in the box yet I, so need, to only... I need to wire them I, I, I should have done it in no, no, it's but good. you're the first person it's using good. this I've not even used it yet so. yeah no it's good I, I like it it's kind of like yeah. it's, it's kind of like after, it's after hours kind of lighting yeah uh, which works and, um, and we've got like a kind of window by the side of us which I guess is where people can look in at people who are recording from the outside if they as a producer, if you go like super uh, high tech, this is like a podcaster's dream. Like, I feel like every podcaster would love a studio like this. Yeah, uh, so it's so great that you've been allowed to build one. The first question that I ask everybody is, How do you know me? I'd heard your podcast before I met you, but I think ah. we spoke for about five minutes. <laughs> uh, not even this year, this is how bad I am at dates. Um, but in fairness, yeah, I've known. It, it wasn't this year's Christmas podcast get together. It was the one previously, which yeah. at that point I was a total poser because I hadn't even made anything yet. I right. was just trying to, you know, understand how any of it works because I felt a place like this should have one and it shouldn't necessarily be as kind of BBC producers previous outfits. And actually, I think they're brilliant, but I don't think we need to do that again. And I think, yeah, there are there are. Thousand, well, thousands. There's about a thousand people who work here, but yeah, there are a thousand interesting people here, and I would quite like to record them. And isn't that the best way of showing people how how a museum works, but also why this place is incredibly interesting? <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. And the interesting thing about 
like the podcast support group that was which is kind of where we met like helen zaltzman sort of runs it it's a facebook group but we also do live meetups is that there are lots of people like you who haven't made a podcast yet who yeah. sort of like it might be six months a year where they're building up to the point where they feel comfortable and like the you know the advice that all of us seasoned podcasters will say is just like make it now make it now start now start yeah. now it's going to be bad whatever you do so just learn on the job I mean not everyone's going to say that but I'm sure you've heard that from a fair few podcasters yep. and and they're damn right really actually <laughs> it's it's better to uh, god I agonised over the first two. Oh gosh and now it exists I made the well I think I made the first two not the recording element of me narrating, but I think I made the first two in the space of about eight months. There was a hell of a lot of research that I had to go into it. But then the following one, I didn't even know what it was going to sound like, and it was done in three days. And it was, and, and that, that, was, that was the, right. I have a thing. I can right. learn from the thing. People on iTunes are saying, you speak too fast. Don't do that for a start. But, you know, yeah. kind of work out. Maybe you don't need to transcribe everything when you've got 10 hours of interviews for a start. Right, or get some transcribing software. Yeah, well, yeah. I I wish I'd had that last year. I did a kind of drama series with improvised uh, conversation and then those those conversations had to be edited and we didn't, we didn't, we didn't transcribe them uh, because if that would have taken too long. Yeah. But if we'd have had transcribing software, which apparently everybody knows about, like now I find out, um, we could have done it much easier, much better. So hopefully that would be good for the second season. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, like even as a budge job, and I mean, I I am I am a fan. I feel like I've picked that up from the British. The British are the best at budge jobs, and the word is like a quintessentially kind of British thing, anyway. But. There's so many ways of getting around a thing. So you turn your audio into a video by chucking an image on the front of it, chuck it into YouTube, it will auto-transcribe it as best it can, which is by no means fantastic. But if you're looking for keywords, you're looking for that kind of thing, right. it can actually do that. And keywords I try. is what you need generally. Yeah, like yeah. At least like it doesn't have to be the exact sentence. It just needs to tell you where about in the file to find the thing you need. Well, exactly. And I, I, uh, I run the museum's uh, YouTube channel. Uh, and at some point I was like, all right, we need to start captioning everything. So let's start doing it. And one of the videos fell through the cracks and it didn't end up with one. And it was this conservator who had this amazing... Uh, sorry, sorry, someone who does kind of conservation work on uh, particular types of objects within the museum rather than someone who's conservative, which multiple people have thought I was saying when I've said conservator. <laughs> uh, and she had a very thick French accent, but she's speaking English. So I thought... Oh god! And we got a comment, and I, you know, they come up on my phone. And I was like, "Oh god, this is going to be terrible!" And like, the captions are hilarious. And I thought, "Okay, fair enough." Well, I'll look at these, and for the first minute and a half, pristine, works perfectly. And then there was just this kind of slip up every now and again. So she had a PhD in uh, theoretical physics and home decor, which made no sense whatsoever. Uh, her name was Skeptical Number, <laughs> but everything else was perfect for you know the first two minutes. And then uh, at some point, she was talking about the moment she realised she wanted to be a conservator in 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 a museum, and it was like so at Christmas, just after my period, and then it continued. So there were these little things that kind of just didn't make any didn't sense. make any sense, but were yeah, they were really quite funny when you right, read it. So right. you know, uh, but no, the software is actually generally quite good. So anyone listening who does a podcast. <laughs> Go to YouTube first. Don't pay for anything. Right, right, yeah. right, right. I mean, there's there, there's always there's lots and lots of workarounds. And certainly, yeah. my my big if you're listening and you make podcasts, I mean, work with what you've got. 
That is always oh, why, absolutely. That's what I always say. And and what you've got maybe uh, a room in a, in the British Museum that you can change into a sound studio. So yeah, work <laughs> with that. Um, but yeah. if, if you know if, if all you've got is YouTube to transcribe, then that's also good too. Oh, mate, I'm still using it. It's uh, it's it's generally worth the effort of turning audio into a video, which <laughs> half an hour including the processing time. But you know, yeah, yeah. It's just trying to find workarounds. And that's what that group is so great about. They're so giving. And now it's not a private thing either anyway. Like, anyone can just group, spill yeah. into it. It's fantastic. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, yeah, you're right. Probably it was I spoke to you for about five minutes. Yeah. I think sort of Helen introduced us and you were talking to her about something and then I carried on talking to you about what you were sort of thinking about doing yeah. with the you know here at the British Museum with with the podcast um, and I just thought you know you, you you were so full of enthusiasm and excitement and it and sort of you know you were also a bit nervous about podcasting which you know yeah. I can relate to but you know and it was the same it's the same when I came to meet you today you know you, you when we came down here you know you were showing me the keys in the wall where the pe- people in the past had turned their keys and show and your enthusiasm for this place seems like off the scale which I think is great I mean it's so rare to find someone in a job who's so enthusiastic about the the building that they're working in and all of that stuff yeah yeah, yeah. and the, the crazy thing is and this is this is uh, this is super embarrassing it's probably something I should have put on your your uh, your form it's like we shouldn't cover this but I think it's I, I think genuinely it's important so I don't have a particularly wealthy upbringing or anything like that but I I was madly in love with Greek myth and that kind of thing when I was a kid I just thought it was fantastic I mean Disney Hercules came out at the right time <laughs> Hercules the Legendary Journeys came out at the right time I mean right. yeah they, they, they had me hooked I ended up going through various kind of things and eventually got to uni and I was doing ancient history uh, and then I ended up doing a master's in it at UCL and UCL is slightly further away from this building than you think but most of your lectures end up at the back of Centre House which is 10 metres away from the back of the British Museum and I had written multiple essays about multiple objects that are here and even throughout my entire master's had no idea what this place was let alone what was in it and I got the job by absolute fluke like it was it was through an intern agency uh, and they desperately needed someone turned up and I was like I had a very privileged education and I did not know about this place and it's it's unreal it's so yeah there's so <laughs> much stuff here and I think it does a great deal of good like for public outreach and kind of people who come into the museum but no disrespect to anyone who visits it I have way more fun than they do like because <laughs> there's just there's so much stuff that's behind the scenes or just these insanely intelligent people who've done these impossible things just in the building you go have coffee with them be like I'm looking for something to talk about I, I never have to find a story they, they'll just come up in random right. conversations museums are like houses that store stories yeah, pretty right? much yeah I mean, you know, I think all 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 museums have that potential, but then it's like whether that those stories are told to people or not, how they get to people. Yeah. That's what you know. That's how you can tell a, a good museum from a bad museum. If you're like in a room looking at stuff and you have no idea what it is, that's yeah. not a good museum. But when you kind of like have a relationship to it, when it tells you its story, in whatever way that is, it's great. Yeah, I mean that's that's and that's the uh, the hope with the podcast is to not be so object focused. I mean they're, they're always there in the background, but actually. The people who work here just, oh, mate, I, like, it's just, you just, yeah, you just meet these impossible human beings and you get to, and you can kind of see, I wouldn't say my stamp on it, uh, but with uh, with the YouTube channel, you look at it 
two years before versus what it is now. And I mean, our most popular kind of series is vlogs in curators. Like we've literally turned curators' offices into a YouTuber's bedroom. Right. And it's just them talking about what, and we, we turn up, we help shape the story slightly, but pretty much it's like, we'd like to do one with you. It's like, okay, cool. What, what object do I need to talk about? It's like, no, what are you doing? And they just have, yeah, it's just, these people right. do impossibly interesting things. We've got a bloke who deciphered the instructions, the oldest instruction manual for a board game in the world to then try and work out the rules to a board game, which he had first seen in the museum when he was nine, had gone home and built a replica of it, like carving it out of wood, and forced his sister to play it with him like most days to try and work out what the rules were because no one knew what the rules were. And he ended up coming here, finding a tablet that would decipher those rules, spending 10 years working out how to decipher the rules, and now he is the... He, we have the rules. We have wow. the... Which is, like, that, that kind of thing. That's, that's and also, he went, he went to university, right? This, this is ridiculous. But he went to university, and he wanted to study a really hard ancient language. And, you know, what's your, what's your go-to option? Hieroglyphics, right? Right. And supposedly, <laughs> he had his first lecture with this, uh, this guy who's teaching him hieroglyphics, and the guy dies the next day. And he goes to his tutor and goes, what, what am I going to do? And he's like, well, Egyptologists don't grow on trees. Um, but there is this other very difficult ancient language called cuneiform. He, he finds them. He falls in love with it. He then ends up being curator here. And lo and behold, the rules to that game are written in that language. Like, he's just an impossible person. <laughs> like, but, yeah, there's, there's, there's hundreds of them here. It's, yeah, sorry, I sound, I sound like I'm part of a cult. But, you know. It sounds like a good cult to be a yeah. part of. I mean, the, the, the second question I ask everyone, which I guess we've given a kind of idea of, but it's interesting to hear kind of how, what your official kind of way of saying it is, is yeah. what do you do now? Um, wow. Uh, <laughs> um, I make stuff for the internet for the British Museum that doesn't involve coding. So <laughs> I've done some stuff with Minecraft. Uh, I I make and produce a lot of the videos in the museum uh, that either go out on Facebook or YouTube. I've done a couple of things that were kind of uh, either installed into exhibitions. Uh, I got sent to Japan to make the centerpiece for a film because some curator, I love her to death, she just met me and the video producer and went I like you, can can you go make a film please? And <laughs> and it was and it was just that faith, I, I got no idea, but yeah, so I, I do that um, I present and don't write, because I don't I should start writing it, uh, the British Museum podcast. And I don't think you should necessarily start writing it. No, no <laughs> maybe not, I don't I mean, know, it would make it a lot less ha- <laughs> <laughs> a lot less stressful. When I heard it, I thought it sounded like I've, so. I've listened to all three episodes that yeah. you've done of that of that podcast today, and like when I heard it, I thought like it you you weren't uh, you were scripted. I thought that you were because it was so kind of like the story was so well constructed. the The phrasing was really great phrasing, and sometimes I I just some sometimes think that you know you don't get great phrasing like that unless uh, unless you write it. But um, but that said, you didn't come across like it was scripted. You came across passionate and uh, enthusiastic. Yeah. I mean, people may say you speak too fast, but I'd say that's passion. And actually, maybe you should not worry about those few people who say because yeah. there's always there's, the thing is there's always a few people who say the things that really they they hit home somehow. Yeah, and then that's all you can think of. You know, yeah. like I say, like too much, uh, and uh, that's something that. I could think all you know I could spend all my time worrying about the fact that I say like too much or I could say 
who says too much? Like, that's just the way I speak. It's a way of speaking. It Does it communicate what I have to say well? And also, like, that's a way of kind of being less certain. Yeah. And I don't want to be certain. I want to reflect a world that is uncertain. Uh, and that's the thing. Like, this idea that we have to sort of speak in this really kind of... I think it's quite a masculine idea of, like, speaking in this, like... Uh, I've seen a lot of, like, uh, courses aimed at women, like, speak without qualifying yeah. don't qualify yourself and I think no no like get men to speak like women because like we should be qualifying everything because that's the way the world is it's not as simple as, as de- declamatory statements that's the word uh, it's not as simple as those yeah no I, I think you're right actually I was so I was uh, where was I I was um, at the Guilty Feminist podcast yesterday Sarah Pascal she said something really interesting which was I don't know about activism because I feel like you have to be 100% if you're an activist. And and I don't know I'm 100% about anything. And I think that's one of the things that we all yeah, kind of struggle with. It's like, can you be 100% on anything? And does that validate a certain term? Or do people associate a term with 100% commitment? There's that's a really interesting point, but, though. I mean, it is. And it's an interesting thing. I do sometimes think about this because one of my fundamental kind of philosophical or political or whatever points of view is that, that, that no one knows anything fully like no. you can't trust like and, and isn't that and, a brilliant thing like, and, and truth is a complicated thing like two truths can be the same like the opposite things yeah. to each they other they can be diametrically can, opposed and they can both yeah. be true and they can both and be I, in the same person's head and I think that's very true about the Women's March for example like I think like the, 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 a lot of the criticism of the Women's March is absolutely valid uh, but also a lot of the uh strong and positive things about the Women's March is absolutely valid. Both of those things are true. And actually, that's that, that's where all of these kind of complications come from. But but I definitely think reflecting the lack of certainty, the lack of definites, the lack of binaries, right, yeah. uh, is a good thing to, 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 to do in your speech, in your art, in the way that you're doing things. That said, ultimately, in terms of activism, I think... You know, we ha- we're living in a world with Trump and Putin and Theresa May. Yeah. We have to have some, like, we might not be completely certain, but we have to have some actions regardless, regardless, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because we is. can know that definitely, you know, destroying loads of human beings or, like, stopping people from being able to have lives, those are definitely things we can agree are, are bad things, right? We should work for, we can be certain that we should not stop refugees from coming into countries. Right? Yeah. We should be certain of that. Like, as, as people on the left or activist circles whatever we might not have an answer like where we're going to but we know what's wrong now and hopefully yeah, we can or, you know, work we, on that we many people do. have answers they, they, they worry yeah. me they scare me because uh, they have answers and, and sometimes I like their answers but sometimes I'm scared of how they're going to implement those answers even when they are answers I like You know? yeah it's true or, <laughs> or you have an answer and you think yes and then someone takes you down the road and they and you know you've got the, the, the kind of bog standard slippery slope kind of argument that someone tries to apply to something if they disagree with it but equally you get you get scenarios where someone who's either smarter than you or from a different position as you or from a different background from you then starts applying what you thought it was like no 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 I've been fairly confident on this point for a while right. and then suddenly they lead you into a conclusion and you're like oh you have to start again but you don't yeah. have to start again you can kind of no. and that 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 is when it's not something that is so fundamental as kind of you know supporting a life because there is the because they are coming to your door yeah, and yeah. 
and being like, well, well, no, what, well, what if I'm wrong? And let's have some arguments. It's like, no, that, 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 that's basic human decency. Yeah. But beyond that, it's, it's when it's not something that dire and not something that direct, it's, it's a privilege of being a human. We get to have these conflicting ideas and then try and work something out until something better comes along. Yeah. Or, unfortunately, something worse comes along and we only learn it 20 years later. But, you know... I'm, yeah, I mean, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, uh, there's a similar issue as well of, like, we have our experience and then we assume that that's everyone's experience. And, like, that's not the case. Like, that's, and that's a, that's a real kind of... I really believe in listening to people's lived experience, but I also think that there's a danger of, of, of individuals saying, this is my lived experience, therefore it's everybody else who's like me's uh, lived experience, which is also not the case. No, and how many times do you... Because this, this has happened... That, 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 hit, that hits a note for me, at least... Um, how many times have, like, even recently, have you realised that you've still got those things programmed yeah, into yeah, you? Because every day. <laughs> uh, what, what we started. Oh God. We, uh, uh, so my girlfriend's a really big fan of The West Wing, and I haven't watched it, uh, and so I started watching it. And lo and behold, twenty years of people banging on about it is pretty bloody good, right? <laughs> right. But, um, but she's talking about the kind of. Uh, she was talking to me. It was like, yeah, well, you know, it makes sense. He, 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 uh, talking about the president. It's like, oh, he's a Catholic. It's like, no, they're not. No, no, the president's. I'm not sure there's ever been a Catholic president. And I was like, no, no, most of them have been Catholic. And I, I'm not a religious person, but I, uh, I grew up in America for a while. And in and amongst. All the crazy. I was kind of. I was in uh, West Virginia, and I was. I was kind of the tip of the Bible Belt. And I got there, and I was two years younger than everyone else in my year because of weird kind of crossings over and the tests they may be doing, all that kind of stuff. So I was kind of sat there, middle middle of the year. I arrive. I was the most foreign person they'd ever had, which was a white Western bloke who speaks English as a first language, which is <laughs> right. just right. just bizarre. Right. You are uh, not so I was seen as an oddity. No, no, that. but I was. Yeah, oh, yeah. I was. I was interesting to them. But it was a Catholic school, and they made you think that that's how the whole country works. And I only realised recently that's not even the majority Christianity in the country. And so I was like, yeah, of course. All the she found me one. I can't remember his name. She found me one president that was Catholic. I from nine have carried that on because it made sense because of the way I was educated. It's a bizarre school. I, ugh, all sorts of random, random things gonna happen there. But um, but yeah, it was just it was just something I never assumed because there was nothing to challenge that viewpoint. And I was nine. You can you can cement a lot of weird stuff in a right. kid's head. Well, it's really easy. Yeah, it's really easy yeah. to get real. I I I I I thought that Christopher Robin from Winnie the Pooh killed himself because my mum <laughs> right. told me that. Um, but she was wrong. She slightly misunderstood the reality. Like he didn't like the fact that he was made Christopher Robin. He did moan about it in later yeah. life, but he didn't kill himself. Oh, so as in the actual person, yeah, yeah, the character. Yeah, the actual person. Sorry, I thought she was saying like no, no, at no, the no, end of Winnie no, the no, Pooh no, is that would be that would, commit suicide. No, no, no. Like, but for years, I thought that was the case. And of course, if that was the case, that's great. That not great, but like that's a there's a beautiful kind of irony, tragedy mm. within that. It's it's a, it's an attractive kind of story to tell other people. Yeah. And so I've told so many people that bit of misinformation. Yeah. Uh, over the years, and then now I can't go back and untell all those people. And it was based on just what my mum told me. And when you're a kid, you you trust what adults say. You don't check it. You don't. It's true. But with um, so I was um, let's say post me living in America. So I was about I was nine to about eleven, I think. I became a pain in the ass to all teachers. I, <laughs> I fundamentally blame one particular teacher I had in in America. But this is one of the reasons why that me misunderstanding that so much kind of caught me out was that 
the first day I got there, you had you had two tutors, so it was two separate classes, but one took all the art subjects and one took all the maths and science subjects, right? And so I get halfway through the day and I get to the arts teacher and we're doing history. And written on the board, on the on a blackboard, so this is this is how old school it is, was uh, the topic of that lesson, which was why America is the best country in the world. And it was clearly aimed at me. And I was the only one, including the teacher, who'd lived outside of that state, let alone by that point I'd lived in four separate countries. So I was kind of, but I was this really reserved, very nervous, but I, I hated everything about it. I was... I was getting to the point at which girls are hitting puberty. I'm still nine, so like you know, on the on the playground, I'd been asked by the the popular boys took me on because the girls like my accent, and they were like, "So which one do you?" But well, I can't remember what the American term for fancy is. But they asked me effectively that, and my response was, "I don't like girls," because I was still in that well, mind nine. frame. Yeah, yeah. And so then I was gay for the day, and I didn't even know what that meant. Like right. like so, but then it was it was this kind of and this really lovely guy top, pull, pulled me aside and said. I don't like girls either, but you cannot say that. And I was so naive to all these things. But yeah, I kind of ended up in this classroom uh, uh, being this weird kind of specimen they were all going to test. And I was the only one kind of putting their hand up going like, I think all the rights you read out, I remember it really vividly. I think all the rights you read out, I've lived in countries that have those before. The only ones that you have that they don't are guns. And I don't think that's going particularly well. And I knew something <laughs> about Columbine, but I didn't really know what it was. Right. And obviously that hit nerves, so I was sent to the, the headmaster straight away. And if that was that was just the start of my whole education there. It was this bizarre thing. So I thought, yeah. as a nine-year-old, I thought, no, I, I caught all the tricks. And then suddenly you turn up, what, bloody, uh, like 19 years later, you turn out, no, some of the stuff they tried to teach you still got through. Right. Which is, yeah, which is really bizarre. But that's but, it. There's so many ways you learn stuff. Yeah. And so much of it you don't consciously know you're learning it. No. And there's so many different, like the way I see the world, there's so many different systems like patriarchy or whatever, or like capitalism or like racism or whatever, that you you absorb. Yeah. You don't know you're absorbing it. And there's so many, like I find like the older I get, I find life is more and more a process of unlearning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's and, really And, and it's actually good. Like it's good to like learn that you don't know anything and actually to start challenging all of these absolute like things yeah. that you thought like I heard, I was listening just the other day to a, a recording of me from six years ago and I was saying things about men and women I don't I don't like for a start I don't think it's just men and women anymore yeah. I, I know that, that we aren't a binary yeah. in terms of gender or even sex so so like it's it really shocking to me now to hear the words like yeah it happens to me occasionally on Facebook memories um, but like to hear me actually just like carrying out like going oh I've read this study and it, and it tells me that and like I was basing my views again on something I'd read yeah like, I'd been told that information and we're living in this time now aren't we where yeah. it's like fake news what's real what isn't like what can you trust it's 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 super complicated in that respect yeah, yeah I really mean the th I guess like from what you've just said to me yeah. and from the fact that you work in the British Museum like it's an interesting thing that you're, you're not a British person right? no no <laughs> actually uh, so I got sent to uh, got sent to only time this has ever happened it's the job is nowhere near this uh, kind of not elegant uh, fancy no wow whatever so, some adjective insert here um, <laughs> but I, I got sent to Japan uh, to, to film in this kiln that has been there for just under 400 years and it was for an exhibition that was celebrating the fact that it was the 400th anniversary of Japanese porcelain which we all know was 2016 I mean that's that's a that's a date we all 
we, we all had in our calendar for a long period of time, I imagine. I knew nothing about porcelain whatsoever when I got there. But this kiln had been running for 375 years, and they were doing it exactly the same way. And filming there, oh, it was incredible. And I was mainly doing sound for it, but I was doing really stupid things like putting microphones, really cheap, crappy microphones, but I thought they'd work on people's paintbrushes as they're hand-painting this porcelain to try and get wow. this sound, because I had to do a soundscape for this exhibition. Anyway, so we then did that, and then we kind of gallivanted around filming things about Hokusai's life, pretty much following the artist's life for an exhibition that's coming up soon. And then I got back, and I had to go into the uh, non-EU passport queue at Heathrow, and we're knackered. Like, it was 14-hour days from the second we landed. It was traveling all the time. It was gloriously fun, but holy hell, if I never worked so hard in my life. And I get there, and got this bloke, who's like, right, so what do you do? And my title is technically Digital Creative Producer, which sounds lovely, but means practically nothing. And so I said this, it's like, right, okay, so what does that mean? It's like, I make films. And he's like, okay, fair enough, so what do you do that for? It's like, I do that for the British Museum. It's like, cool, and where have you come from? It's like, Japan. Like, and he looks at my passport and goes, right, so let me get this straight. You're an Australian who works for the British Museum who's just been in Japan doing work for the British Museum. Like, yeah. It's like, God, we let in anyone and just let me pass. And I was like, and I think it was flipping, but it was the first time. It's like, yeah, no, that, I suppose maybe that's weird. We let in anyone is a fucking weird thing. Yeah, it's a very weird. I mean, but I mean like, two o'clock in the morning, the guy's probably knackered. Yeah, but, you know, yeah, all the I same. Mean, imagine if I was more sensitive uh, well, about yeah. that kind of or thing. Or imagine if you were someone who received a lot more abuse generally. Exactly. Because, you know, you're, you're, a, you're still a white person coming in. Like, yeah. like, you know, that said, like, it's quite appropriate in a way that you're not British if you're in the British Museum because yeah. nor is any of the stuff in the British Museum, right? Oh, well, no, no, there's, there's, <laughs> there's crap tons that's British, but... Um, yeah, sure, 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 of course. But, but no, but, but actually, th- but this is one of the... Like, easy, cheap shot, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's, it, it, it's all good. Um, but <laughs> but ne- neither are most of the experts. I mean, right. God, you, you go to the scientific departments, whew, man, Brexit's going to hurt. Like, yeah. they're, they're, we've just got these brilliant guys. They're all... From all over the place. Like, yeah, the, you know, I am f- I am one of many boring foreigners because we've got so many of them, which right. is great in itself. But then, I mean, that makes sense because, yeah. I mean, as you say, uh, it's it's flippant of me to say that there's nothing in the British Museum that's British. Yeah. But, but there's, but there's yeah, lots like, and lots of stuff from all over the oh, world. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so you would expect that the people who'd be experts on that stuff from all over the world would be from all over the world. In fact, it's good that they are because if yeah. it was just British people being experts on all over the world, that's that's kind of a problematic kind of framing. I mean, how do you feel about that? Like, so like, I'm very aware of empire, right? Yeah. Uh, and colonization and things like this. And I'm, I'm aware of those things partly because my, I mean, my granddad was born in India. So like, yeah. he, my, you know, my, my, oh, my, know my, my ancestors were part of the Raj. I yeah. Guess, or part of, they were foresters over there. But, but I, you know, there's no way that I haven't descended from empire. Yeah. You're, you're, a, you're an Aust- white Australian. Yeah, so you, yeah. you have equally uh, brutal crimes on your hands in fact they're arguably the same we arguably yeah. have the same set of crimes uh, to, that we share you yeah. know, we share the same crimes in our history and obviously like th- those are big issues and they're uh, things that are you know gradually changing and people mm. are approaching these things differently I mean and also within my family I mean, my, my niece is half Jamaican so I'm also very aware of, of that kind of element of the racial element of, of empire. How do you feel about that stuff? Like you're so enthusiastic about all this yeah. history and it's fascinating history, yeah. but you're not, you know, you're not unpolitical. You're not unaware no. of, of that complexity. I'm sure no one else who's working here probably is unaware. No, of that no, not whatsoever. And um, well, so I, I think 
It's really hard to say because I have, I think, oh God, I was, I, was, I was at a party at some point and someone just kept going, but really? But really? And Because someone had asked me enough questions that they got to a result that I realised the second I vocalised it, I knew that's what I felt, but I hadn't thought about it or had to vocalise it before. Right. Which was, when I'm in Australia, I tell people I live in the UK. When I'm here, I tell people I'm from Australia. Every time I moved country, I was always not picked on, but kind of made up as being the weird person who was from another country. Right. Always going from one white Western English-speaking country to another outside of living in Amsterdam for a very short period of time uh, where the only Dutch phrase I knew was, I'm sorry, I don't speak Dutch, uh, which got me <laughs> lots of free toys, which is really weird. But anyway, um, uh, I, I, I realized that I don't, I don't really have... I don't feel I have the right to weigh in on that conversation. Yeah, I can understand But But not, not from a... I'm not part of that block of people. I'm not part of this block of people. I am very kind of interested and I, I, I feel I can, as much as I can do with anything, I can take pride in what humans have achieved. But I have no relation to anyone prior to my birth, as far as I'm concerned. I don't care about nationalism. I don't associate with a country. I associate with whatever country I'm in. It's another one I can associate with. Right. I actually, I don't, and I don't, under, and it's a huge part of other people's cultures, so I don't want to weigh in on this because I realise how incredibly biased and how incredibly specific it is to how I was brought up, but I don't come from anywhere, and right. thus, and, and equally, it's, it's such a stupid thing to end up in Godwin's Law very quickly, but you don't blame a, a, a young German for what the Germans did. You don't blame a Mongolian for what Genghis Khan did. Yeah. I don't take pride in what the British Empire did or Absolutely, what a particular yeah, yeah. British person did or the, the, the fact the Australians won the Ashes in 72. Because for a start, I don't play bloody cricket. <laughs> and so I, that kind of thing where it, there's an there's a onus of ownership or there's a question on it, I would like to fix the current world and some of that is due to empire. And I am totally fine yeah, with yeah, yeah. pointing the finger. But I'm no more to blame than anyone yeah, else yeah, is sure. in, in a current generation. Well, blame, I want to fix it. I should exactly. be responsible for blame that. Blame and guilt get in the way of fixing they, it. They really so do. So I, think I, that's I, right. I just, I don't, I, it, yeah, it's weird. And this person just kept looking at me. It's like, sorry, you think you come from now? It's like, technically on my passport, I'm an Australian. But, and I think that's, that's weighed in, but... I lived all over the place, and I was constantly an outsider well, yeah. in such a white, stupid way. Well, you You're not even you real outsiderness. Like, I felt like I was an outsider just moving between England and Wales. Right? Yeah, but, like that's how. And and, and, and you know, I and was. That's a really like, weird thing you know, for an Australian or an American yeah. because we don't understand that they're different countries because right, right, it's right. so particular to the UK. It's like, but but clearly, England, Northern Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. I'm going to get murdered for saying this. That clearly, they're all states of the UK. And <laughs> right. Just, right. And if you look at the laws, if you look at look at it from a kind of legal standpoint, it's like I don't under. It's a historic well, thing. It's find something here. to hate. Like, people yeah. really will find something to hate yeah. other people for. And I'm, you know, so I'm with you on nationalism. Yeah. Like, I, I find nationalism to be probably one of the biggest problems that we have. Like, also, so, it's so limiting. Yeah. I mean, God, there are, there are these amazing kind of early people who all came from roughly the same place before we all started migrating, right? Yeah. And we've all bloody migrated. So, like, again, we can learn from that. Well, we're but, all migrants, right? Yeah. That's a, a thing people should yeah. definitely be continually reminding themselves uh, in this moment when there's so many migrants who need to change where they're living. 
Exactly, yeah. but but you look at you look at what people have achieved. Okay, so the Parthenon's fantastic. The pyramids are, you know, you, you wonder how the bloody hell they built them. There are yeah. all these things that you can separate into countries. But you know what's way more impressive than either of those two things is someone saw a piece of wood, saw that it floated, carved it out, put some, learned how to make textiles, put a bed sheet on a pole, and went. That's a big body of water. I'm going to see what's on the other bloody side. Like, right. when we were all kind of collectively a group of people, like, in the Ice Age, there was agriculture that started being invented straight after that. People harnessed fire. That's ridiculous. I have a lighter in my pocket. I don't have to do any of that stuff. Someone right. did it for me. Right. Sailing and just going into the unknown like that. Right. That's incredible. And that's not anyone's thing. Right. Uh, like, and here in this in yeah. this building, or in the well, in this in the adjacent building, there's all of these things that have come from all of these yeah. other places. So you've got all of this history of all of these places, and I can understand why some people would see those objects and feel like this these are kind of uh, objects of crime against our our countries, yep. and that's very reasonable. But that's part of the history, and I'm sure is that part of the history that that you can learn in the British Museum. I mean, um, there's they... there's um, not not to try and plug something, yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know when this comes out, but actually week, one of the best exhibitions, uh, in my humble opinion, that we've put on is the one about South Africa at the moment. It is absolutely glorious and it has done its best to attribute everything as a something and an art piece. So there are, it kind of takes you chronologically through the history of South Africa with a kind of a focus on art, but actually they've got things that were made by Homo Augustus. Uh, so that's like a precursor to. I'm not very good on the whole kind of pre, uh, yeah pre-human human, thing. Even though you've just you've just made the claim that they're the most cool uh, moment yeah, in history. Yeah, well, no, 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 no. Well, you know, it's, it's, you know. it's it's later than that. It's definitely Homo sapiens. <laughs> I think I'm talking about. Right, Seriously, right. ask me about Greeks and Romans. I'm far, I'm far more concrete. Um, <laughs> but uh, they've got these um, hand axes. Well, they've got a hand axe that they thought was a million years old when they got here, and I think they reckon it's three million years old now they've done some more tests on it. And it's, it's, it's the least functional thing in the world. It's a hand axe, which people made. But this one is beautifully teardrop-shaped. It's made from the wrong stone. It's too thin. It would chip. You can't really hold it because it's like covered in like sharp... But it's someone making something aesthetically pleasing right. for the sake of doing it. And right. it goes throughout the exhibition chronologically, and it has contemporary pieces that kind of speak to that from uh, people currently living in South Africa. But it's got all these moments where if the records don't show who made that thing, largely because of empire, really, it's people, white Westerners coming in and collecting. It will attribute it as best it can to what's in the record. So it will at least attribute it to the people that were recorded. And it treats it in the same way that these contemporary pieces have a voice and a person and you can learn more about them. Really and it's cool. done this with archaeological objects. And it's this really interesting moment. And I mean... It's doing well. I wish you would. I, I I want it. I want people to be protesting that they can't see it because it's so full. Like it's just, yeah. It's this really beautiful kind of meeting where it's. Uh, again, I I'm I'm not South African, so I can't I can't speak on behalf of them. But I interviewed a couple of South African artists. One of whom, Robin Island, uh, was locked up with Nelson Mandela at one point. God. I oh, that opportunity. I got twenty minutes with the wow. guy, but it was amazing. But they, they they were all like, "No, this is this is really good." So yeah, I think I think it's a very responsible response to that, and it's something that you can do with these collections. Is actually you can talk about that because they're not in in the location that they were originally made. Is that makes it easier to talk about what was done in the British Empire and actually make a point of it whilst yeah. highlighting and kind of 
putting a spotlight on these amazing things being made by people where, you know, they weren't given much credit prior to, and this stuff, this stuff they made, oh, God, you should look at this stuff. Honestly, I'll, I've, I've got free tickets. I'll go grab you one before, before the end so you can go have a look. But yeah, yeah it's phenomenal. So I mean, yeah, I think there's, there, there is an answer to it. The level of excitement that you have yeah. for this stuff is so great. Like it's always, I, I didn't want... know about the place before I got here. <laughs> I, just, like, like, I want to yeah. bottle this excitement. This is it's great excitement. But, but that's the thing. Probably. So you, you ended up here through a kind of in, like an accident, right? Yeah, yeah more and or less. Before that, you'd made film I guess you're saying um, what, what, kind what was, of, I was oh god how did you come to be making YouTube videos um, I mean that's, that's the <laughs> well oh, I picked up a god. phone and <laughs> yeah <laughs> well face. no not really god what did I do oh god you have to kind of go back to right so <laughs> oh man this is going to be a long story how do I how do I where do you start um, right so I moved here in 2001 it's going to be quick <laughs> and um, again I'm the foreign kid again White, Western, not that foreign. But, you know, foreign enough, particularly when you kind of get to teenage years, right? Yeah. And by this point, I'm not trying to acquire an accent. I'm like, no, I can work with this. I was at an all-boys Christian Brothers run school up until this point. I hit puberty. Girls seem to like this, and I'm currently in a co-ed school. I'm going to run with the accent thing, right? Over the summer, my mum, she's fantastic. She always made sure I was occupied, and I'd complain about whatever she signed me up to. She only ever signed me up to one thing I only slightly didn't like. She, I don't know how she knew what my tastes were before I did, but she's a phenomenal woman. She signed me up. And she's like, what do you want to do? I was like, I really want to learn to play tennis. Got there, wearing a Sum 41 hoodie, those kind of black generic ones that you'd buy off around the back of a stall because they weren't like official merchandise kind of stuff. And there's a bloke in a Blink-182 one. And he's a New Zealander and he's only just moved there. We, we kind of, you know, bonded over the fact we were the random foreign kids and we both moved to the country roughly at the same time. And uh, later on, he's like, do you want to form a band? I was like, yeah. It's like, what do you want to play? Because neither of us played anything. And I decided I'd play bass guitar. I didn't know what that was, but I knew I didn't have one in the house. And my dad wouldn't let me buy my own guitar because he had one. But whatever the fuck a bass guitar is, I don't have one. Right. So we kind of did this and I played in that band all through up until sixth form we met a business teacher at sixth form who used to manage bands and we played at him every lunch until he agreed to manage us and then i almost dropped out of school to be in the band but then we did a gap year where we did that and we started messing around with doing vlogging before youtube existed and so i started kind of playing around with that then the manager a year later wanted me to sign a contract that said i legally wouldn't go to university for a year and I was like we're not doing that well <laughs> I'm out <laughs> so I ended up going to university and uh, in and amongst it so I did a radio show that I hosted with a mime because uh, I thought that was funny <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, you know I did a couple of things messing around with cameras and I wrote for the paper and all this kind of stuff and I really really enjoyed studying but mainly writing essays right. and I got towards the end of my degree. In ancient history. Yeah, in in ancient history. And I was watching, and I absolutely love Mary Beard, but I was watching a documentary that she was part of. It wasn't one of the ones she hosted. It was like, this is an entertainment show, and it's covering stuff that I really like. Why do I want to go back to my books and read that instead? And I just kind of thought that writing was more interesting than what was currently being put forward as entertainment in this area. And I was like, I want to do that. I, I want to make things that are good. And I thought I have to be a doctor in this and then I can kind of run it from the helm downwards. Do a master's, 
get depressed, have a really terrible year. I'm like, right, I'm out, run out of money. It's like, whew, no, not doing that. How could I get in? So I tried to get into TV, didn't really work. So I lied and said I could operate a camera and just started playing around with stuff <laughs> and became an AV tech because I thought I could learn the technical stuff and I could go that way. There's extra elements to that. But eventually I kind of ended up uh, signing up for an internship company that promised you food and travel expenses in London. And I only just moved here. I was like, that's good enough for me. The unique selling point was they do a video CV and I watched them all on the website. Well, I didn't watch them all. They were all filmed these poor guys in a suit sat on a bar stool with a camera directly in front of them not edited at all expected to talk to camera for a minute and 20 seconds without having a job oh. with the same like stripey wallpaper behind it and I was like well I put it in my CV that I can make videos can I make my own one I was like yeah cool make it less than a minute don't put music on it and have a very plain background so it's not distracting. So I put on a T-shirt. I got as many lava lamps as I could possibly get from anyone, put them on in the background, had my teddy bear there, all sorts of stuff, went ballistic on it. The museum desperately needed someone. Someone said they'd used the company before. They, they chose me for a last-minute kind of internship, and they liked what I did, so I got to stick around and mess around with more stuff, right. which was great. But I, I remember I was clearing out a computer in between jobs where they're like, we, we're going to give you another job, but we just need to find it. So just hold out for a month quite hard to do in London uh, I was clearing out an old computer and I found that one of my master's applications was I would either like to make documentaries more accessible and bring people in or do the same thing with museums and I was like oh this is ironic I didn't even <laughs> think about that but yeah so I kind of stumbled in so here so you accidentally got the job that you'd always wanted without ever knowing know I wanted, wanted it yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, it's fantastic. It's bizarre. No, well, no, no wonder you're so like full of enthusiasm because yeah. you've kind of like you've kind of fallen into this kind of ideal. You're like it's like it's yeah. a jigsaw that you've been, you're you're the piece that that fits in it. But then that at the same time you're also you you are coming to this from a very different background, I guess, from most of the people here. You're okay. You've got a master's, so yeah. you are you have got academic chops. To be fair. But I, I doubt. I, I imagine that you're more fluent in YouTube and podcasts and these sorts of things yeah. than the other people that you're sort of talking to in the building. Yeah, and and that's that's changing a bit. I think that would be an assumption. I think it would still be a correct assumption. Uh, we have lots of kind of younger curators who are coming in who are right. very keen. So there was there was a while where it was convincing people to give you enough leash to start doing things, and it's not because the place is too conservative. But it does have a element of it's a two hundred and fifty eight year old institution. Yeah. So there are certain protocols you go through, and you got you kind of got to test what you're doing and and show it. But if you're willing to test something, then there all is. And so yeah, we we do a vlog series called Curators Corner with curators, and one of the best things. Oh, was, yeah. I did a I did a talk at YouTube about it uh, for people who were sent from museums who were considering starting there. And I was, again, this was straight after Japan. I was jet lagged to hell. I hadn't been asked to do it. Someone else had. They dropped out and they were like, could you do a talk? You've got three hours. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I can, I can get something together in three hours. By the way, I'm incredibly jet lagged. I arrived back yesterday evening. But kind of turn up. And one of the things I said was, I was in the canteen and someone said they'd watch Curator's Corner. I was like, I, you know what? I've been talking to that person for five years. I've never known what they do. And now I do. And so it actually worked as a kind of internal thing. So right. there's, there's, there's this thing right, where it's actually, right. there is value in this. And once we filmed something, only yesterday we were using uh, our cameras because we were like, ah, oh, we, we got a couple of macro lenses and we can do it in 4K and we've got a monitor where you can see things quite big. And this guy has been studying Hokusai his entire life. And there's this theory that he had a stroke later in his life, which meant he couldn't paint straight lines, like as in fluid one-time lines. And so he's kind of dotting them. 
and he used microscopes but they were too specific and you couldn't get the context and he used other stuff and it hadn't really worked and we're there with cameras and lo and behold that allowed him to find out more about the prints that he's been studying for his entire life and it's like that that's that's what you want to be able to do is actually is bring some of that expertise in expertise I have no formal training in any of this stuff I do not deserve that title but you know bring in some of that stuff and be like ah, oh, we can use it for research we can go and film this 400-year process of making porcelain that no one who studies the porcelain has ever watched in that detail and give them 20 hours straight of this is every single step. You can watch it over and over again and work out exactly how they made these shapes 200 years ago. And that's, yeah, they're starting to use it for... Sorry, I'm rambling now. No, 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 yeah, rambling starting, is, the, is, the, is how yeah. it makes this show works. <laughs> Everyone who says, like, oh, God, I'm rambling or, like, yeah. oh, I'm, you know... Stop me if I if I kind of go off topic. It's like no, no, that's exactly what this show is about. It's true. I was. I have to say, I was absolutely. I've not been interviewed for anything before. I was absolutely like just. Oh my god. Oh, this is going to go terribly. And then I looked at some of the episodes you had. By the way, if you Google getting better acquainted. Uh, I don't know if you've done that before. I have sometimes. Uh, you know the autofill is with your Bible every single time. So the wow. first three times I tried with to search Bible, for it, Jesus. I ended up on some really weird websites. <laughs> um, but I looked at the different lengths of the episodes. I was like, I'm not going to make 20 minutes. I, th- I think rambling alone is secured that, that it'll be fine. Well, it's like, it going to be the shortest episode. Well. In everyone history. thinks they, yeah, everyone's like, <laughs> how, how are you going to fill an hour? But an hour goes by really quick. Yeah. Like, what's the thing that makes you the most excited at the moment in the British Museum? Uh, ooh, wow. Um, so not that it's going to make me sound like an idiot, but I kind of don't care. So I'm currently working on an episode for the podcast. We've had so much filming, though, that it's kind of, it's being, del- it's supposed to be monthly. I'm just not sure I'm going to get it out in time for it to just be within January. But I thought 2016 was a pretty awful year. And I know it's a cliche, and undoubtedly everyone you interview is going to say that at some <laughs> point for a while. But I thought, why not do something that's about the museum that's just as museum-y as, you know, what, you know, proper conservation in World War Two, or, you know, these pioneering female archaeologists in the 1950s, why not do... The museum used to have about 100 cats that lived on site. Many of them were kind of <laughs> feral. And there were a couple of them were used for pest control, but then they just got inundated and inundated and inundated with cats. And uh, so I was going through the archives, and we got a box dedicated to cats because we got so many letters in. And it turns out that in, like, 1968, uh, a journalist somewhere in the UK, I still can't find the newspaper article yet, he noticed... I'm speech-marking everything that I pause on, by the way, whoever's listening. He noticed that a cat that was stood by the gate had a slightly larger cranium than your average cat, and wouldn't it make sense that a place as prestigious as the British Museum was breeding a race of super cats? Oh, wow. And it took hold of the public, clearly, because... There are letters for the next 10 years requesting Supercat, asking about them, being like, oh, I hear you've got cats running rampant in the basement. It's like, well, no, we don't. And, and they're super intelligent, and they, they, li- they sleep on the, on the Egyptian antiquities because it makes them smarter. But th- th- there's this one letter which is just brilliant, which starts off with, but I promise you I'm not a crazy cat lady. I have a boyfriend. However, I really like cats, and these are all the archaeological sites I've been to, so I'm very interested in that. But I hear you have cats, and could I have one? By the way, my boyfriend is developing a device that allows you to 
detect antiquities underground. Maybe if I scratch your back, you can scratch mine. And 1968 is the year the metal detector was invented. Now, multiple oh, wow, people okay. are inventing it at the same time. But So it's this weird kind of detective story. <laughs> but that's, that's what I'm working on at the moment. They eventually brought down the population by, like, you know, donating them to other people. But That's a nicer ending than that yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, <laughs> exactly. They, they, they were looking at it at some point because they were damaging objects and it was becoming a, and they were giving like fleas to humans and all sorts of like, but were they just allowed to like walk freely in the well you couldn't kind of contain them so there those who were like entitled to food and looked after and then these these strays kept coming in and they just kept breeding so they ended up cleaning them all up taking them to the vets getting them sorted out and then giving them out and kind of finding homes for them and they got down to about nine and they write to their directors like we've got the population down to this but they help keep mice away so could could we keep them because they, they're useful for pest management uh, which is you know super important when you've got a building full of organics yeah. it's like yeah okay but you have to get them spayed and from looking at the internal memos it seems as though there was a three week waiting period with the vet so for three weeks in the late 80s I want to say no no early 80s they were putting the cats on the pill because they were all females. And they were literally running about the museum trying to find them and put them on the pill three times a day. And uh, they missed one. Uh, but, yeah, so this, this, was, this was this traumatic thing. So that's not a particularly... Uh, oh, there's, there's all sorts of things I probably should have said instead. But, no, that's what my brain's on at the moment. It's just this kind of fun element where, you know... And is, are there still cats now? No, no. We walked past a sign that says, uh, please do not feed the cats. Yeah, it was, right. it was just by the, the key thing. Well, yeah, and we, we, walked, we, we walked under the kind of the reinforced side yeah. of the, the museum, which was reinforced in, in, for the Second World War, which yeah. people can hear more about in your uh, first <laughs> podcast of, yeah. your, uh, of your podcast. The British Museum, did it, it, started, it must have started off as a private museum. No, right. or did it, so it was a public museum from the start. Yeah, it was a it was a bloke who was governor of Jamaica. He also brought hot chocolate to the UK, and he was the physician to the Queen at some point. And so he was gallivanting around the world, and he would just collect absolutely everything. He was just obsessed with it. So lots of it was natural history specimens. And he had this house that he ended up filling up, and then he bought the house next to it, and then he filled it up. And then his wife demanded that he buy another house that she could live in, and he couldn't put anything into because uh, he just kept filling up this stuff with tat. And supposedly he would let anyone who wrote him a letter, if they wanted to borrow something that he had because they didn't have any of those kind of specimens, you could have up to five years. He would post it to you, and you could just have it for five years, and then wow. he kind of won it back. How he kept tabs of it, no idea. But when he was writing up his will, he had two daughters and no sons. He said, right, I will give this to the government if they will pay £20,000 for it, but there are certain restrictions, uh, the £20,000 being for dowries for his daughters. It has to be made publicly accessible. You can't ban anyone uh, except for possibly children uh, at that point. Uh, those who have not come to adulthood yet, I think is how it's technically worded, which God <laughs> knows what the hell that means. Um, and uh, it has to be free. And so uh, the government uh, kind of a bit iffy about it. And then they realised that the next two in line are the French and the Germans. So they're like, no, no, we'll have it. Because um, we're not giving it to the French, more or less. And so they buy up an old private house that's on this, that was on this site, uh, which was the absolute... This is the outskirts of London in uh, 1753. There was nothing but grass north of this building. So Russell Square doesn't exist. All of it's just fields because this is the absolute limit of London. Wow. And, uh, yeah, they open it up, they make it free, and everyone can come down and have a good time. And then, you know, eventually they ran out of space, so they made the Natural History Museum, got rid of all that stuff, made a new one. And then, what, 20 years ago, there's the same thing with the library, and now there's the British Library, but it all used to be here. Right. Okay. And, that's, and that's the thing. So it was public, it was, and the government, God bless them, it was a weird thing to say, but um, 
they ended up deciding that they couldn't be in charge of it because if they went to war again, they'd probably sell all the stuff. So they have no sway over what's here and what isn't. They set up a board of trustees in the same way you would do with a kind of orphan's child that had a huge inheritance. And so, yeah, there's there's been a group of people who are elected every now and again. Uh, I think now it might be five-year terms. Don't really know. But, yeah, where it circulates, the government cannot control what is or isn't here because if you went to war, they might sell all the stuff, which is an interesting kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, that, that, is in, that, that is an interesting... It's like 1750s kind of as well. It's a very right. progressive idea. Right, it's ridiculously the 17th, so. Yeah, right, for the 1750s, that's well progressive, you're right. And, they, yeah, everyone was banning universities in London at the time too, so it was free education, pretty right. much. It was, yeah, because all the Oxbridge kids were saying, no, we can't have another university because they were all the ones in Parliament. I think. I'm, I've heard that. I mean, there I've are a lot of universities yeah. in London. Oh, they? there are now, but at the time they were Oh, none. right. Okay, yeah, so they were trying to set one up, and I think it was being blockaded, and this was kind of a halfway house to give it's people... It's funny to think yeah. how much that you're so familiar with is relatively recent. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Like, it's to, say, to say, like, oh, so, there are loads of universities in London yeah. and that, that, you know, only no. to be relatively recent is, is a surprise. It's always nice to have a surprise with these things. So... Okay, so the only thing I want to to tie up before I ask you the last question yep. is so, so you're Australian. Yep. Like, what is what are the country like? So, and you you came here when you were you oh, arrived oh, here at yeah. what like you so, said like twelve or thirteen you arrived here. I reckon. Yeah, so that was said. that was when that was when I moved here permanently. So three and a half, I think, I moved here. Uh, my dad did his masters here. He. Uh, did it somewhat late. I was an unexpected uh, element of my parents' relationship, shall we hey, say. me too. Yeah, it's <laughs> great. Worked out really well for my dad's education. Uh, but yeah, no, he, he was a high school dropout who was a builder for six years and then had gone to a Christian Brothers all-boys school, was a builder, and I was like, I really need to meet a girl. So I'll go back to school, I'll go to university. He thought law would get him a girl somehow. Um, he met my mum not through that. Uh, and then he just about finished his degree. She was supposed to go off travelling in Europe, and then I pop up. So he says, when he's old enough to travel, we'll do that. He's not very good at doing things for fun. So uh, he looked into places, and not knowing what Cambridge was, he applied there and got in. Uh, and then when that was done, we went to we moved to Amsterdam, uh, where he spent six months photocopying a library, because uh, that's what you did in the early 90s to try and prep for, <laughs> for a PhD. We then moved back to Australia because my granddad was sick. Then we moved here, and he did his PhD here. Uh, again at Cambridge and then it was moving around chasing academic jobs so it was Sydney for a while then we moved to America then we moved back to Sydney then we moved here because he got a job here and now the high school dropout who was a builder for six years is professor of law at Cambridge University so wow. that is that is literally that's how I got here and uh, yeah right so his 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 yeah. his, his, his story from there to yeah there is also you well, you should have interviewed him instead of me like, well, he's way more but, interesting but, but, well, well I mean both those stories are yeah. interesting but your story is like he made the decision to to, to move between all of those yeah. places. You didn't make that decision. Like no, I, I, I mean, you you beat me. You've you've had more moves in your yeah. in your backstory than I have, um, which is quite rare. And I, I, so I always like it when someone's had an even more disrupted childhood than me. But I mean, we always moved wherever my mum's work was. Yeah, uh, and it sounds like a similar thing, but with your dad. Yeah. Um, and, and so like yeah, like. It must. It's really valuable to have all of those different experiences, but it oh, yeah. also means that you're like, like you say, like you 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 feel like an outsider everywhere. I guess. Like yeah. You said. And you can you can play into it. I think I think it is. 
again, I'm talking from a very privileged uh, kind of position, but I think it is a powerful time to be an outsider. I'm not saying it's an easy time. It's easy for me because I have lots of benefits. But right. I think it is, if if you're worried about what's going on in the country at the moment, or also, actually, it's useful to be able to apply things from another place or think with another place or look at it slightly from the outside. I've been here forever, so I really, I, I am indoctrinated as much as anyone else is, but I've got that little kind of heel out of the room kind right. of thing. And I think I think that's, that's. I'm not saying I'm going to change the world because there are far smarter and much better suited people than, than me, but I, I think it's a useful way of looking at the world because it, or, or you know, your personal kind of localised situation because actually... We all really need it. Right. <laughs> think about more than your your direct surrounding. I think we could do. We could all, yeah. Benefit Absolutely, a lot from that. I fully yeah. agree with that. But also, I think it probably is a very useful thing to have, and maybe it's one of the things I bring to interviewing too. Is well, it's a useful thing to have when you're talking to other people because oh, yeah. you know you're used to having to to sort of like see things from the outside to to try and get into where people are at and like all of that sort of stuff. It gives you perspectives that you can bring to what you're doing. You know, in the podcast. In your in your uh, in your vlogging stuff, I mean, like, yeah. like, I don't use like the word vlogging in a kind of mocking way. But no, 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 like, it's, it's just it's, a it's, word for it, it these it's, days. It's it's, it's, it's got beyond there, the, yeah. right? but, but I mean, it's like podcasting, isn't it? It's like yeah. you know, a lot of people, you know, could you use that in a kind of like certainly there'll there'll be jokes on uh, on on in comedy shows that use the word pod, podcasting or, or yeah. vlogging in a derogatory way. But I think just a development of stuff that's happened before right yeah. like it's weird to me now actually like my dad was a documentary filmmaker for the coal board uh, back in the wow, day wow really yeah 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 he made films you know in, in coal mines and like it's funny like that's kind of what I do like yeah. it's not the same I'm making podcasts yeah. but uh, but I'm also making documentaries and, and, and like so was he and like I never thought I would end up doing that because I, I write stuff that's what I want to do. I want to create kind of fiction. And uh, now I find myself in a similar position as he he was of like being someone who goes in and records the kinds of things I do with the Restart Project, like, you know, recycling plants and stuff like that. Like, it's very, very similar to the kinds of stuff my dad would have done, although not in coal mines, thankfully, because I don't think I'd have to go down a coal mine, to be honest. No, no. I've, I've only got... Uh, I, I know very little about coal mines. I've only got the uh, the scene from Zoolander in my head, which right. is clearly not what it's like, because uh, it's far worse than that. But, yeah, I'm not sure I'd be suited to uh, documentary filmmaking in a coal mine. No, 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 no. no. But it's interesting that the, the things that we're doing are just kind of like... They're just a new version there's yeah. a new spin on an old wheel right yeah yeah I think. but it's but it's good it's good it's but at the same time because it's a new spin it's quite exciting to make this stuff it is and if you look at kind of god the history of storytelling and how many people reference you know god aristotle wrote this theory on that and all that all that kind of crap I mean, you know they're bloody good storytellers but it's all it's only ever nuanced that changes the the tact really right. it's like oh the first person to do a story from pov like on film that would have been groundbreaking but realistically, as far as storytelling is concerned, that's no different than a first-person novel. Right. It's just doing it with a camera. That's, that, that's a small shift that can be a big shift, right? Yeah. And so, so yeah, no, well, it's... When I was studying creative writing at university, I particularly clashed with my initial lecturer or seminar leader. Oh, yeah. And she used to say, 
uh, of my work, my plays. Like I couldn't do, I shouldn't do direct address to the audience because it was so seventies, right? And that used to drive me crazy because I was like, Shakespeare did direct address to the audience. He was way earlier than the seventies. Like that, these devices have been used. Like we've, we, we, we've, you know, and 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 so it's not a bad thing to be using a device that somebody else has used. No. It's just use it in a new way. Use it in your way. Use it in the context of where you are in history rather than you know trying to make it like the 70s i wasn't doing direct address in a 70s fashion i was doing direct oh, address in a, so what was it, a 2000s uh fashion the last question uh that i ask everybody is do you have anything to plug and i guess we've kind of started to sort of talk about but where can people yeah. find all of these things oh okay um well, God, do I have anything? Else? Oh, right. So, first and foremost, right. uh, my mate Rob Pinney is doing some absolutely amazing journalistic photography. He's done it for like about a year and a half now. He's had a book out about um, Calais, which is just a beautiful thing, and all proceeds go towards Calais. So, yeah, I think his website's just robpinney.com, but he has this amazing... I was messing around with it a couple of days ago. He's got this amazing summary of... 2016. So, just as a thing to go and see, like he's uh, he's he's starting to be picked up by the Guardian and things for his photography because he's just he's just come out of left field. Like, because I went to school with him, he that wasn't his bag, but uh, he's he's nailing it. So, I know that's not a personal no plug, no no. But I seriously, love those kind of plugs though. Yeah yeah, yeah definitely go go check out what he's doing because it's yeah I spent a lot of time with it recently. They're really powerful stuff. I mean, yeah, it's, some of it may not be to everyone's taste, but yeah, there's there's definitely enough for uh, for kind of thought provoking stuff. But I suppose what you were you were hinting at was museum stuff. So uh, we have a YouTube <laughs> channel, um, so you can go check out all the weird and wonderful things we make. Hopefully, at some point soon. There will be an endoscopic camera going through a 15th century clock because I just got permission to do that. So wow. uh, and now I have to find someone who can drive one through a running clock, which should be fun. But no one's done it before. So, oh, shit, maybe you should edit that out. <laughs> maybe your son will be. Just do it. Um, but uh, so, likely yeah. they'll hear it, I think. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> probably. And there's the very imaginatively named British Museum podcast, which you can find anywhere you would get a podcast. And... Hopefully very soon. I'm working on it with a friend, but uh, I am making one outside of the museum called The Things We Preserve, which is about weird things that people preserve, mainly in the UK, but I already have an interview with a guy who runs a retirement home for elephants in Cambodia and is trying to breed the first new Cambodian elephant in over 30 years in the entirety of Cambodia because no elephants are bred in that, ta- uh, in that long. And someone who's in charge of a clown egg registry which is effectively people painting their makeup uh, clown makeup on right. eggs but that's used as the copyright contract right, so that's right, right. proof of that's your that's your IP yeah I've heard really, of that, that yeah yeah it's really thing. bizarre but uh, yeah so so hopefully it'll be out soonish we're still working on it because who's got the time yeah. well, as pod- Helen Zoltzen said it's it, the worst hobby in the world it does take a long time <laughs> podcasts take a long time to make like like as we were talking about earlier on before we started recording yeah so yeah people can find those and you've, the, the British Museum's got another podcast as well happening oh right? yeah god we've got it's sorry like pre- oh, previous getting, getting, yeah. getting better acquainted guest Izzy Izzy Loris uh, yeah. no, she's doing really cool stuff so it's called the British Museum Membercast, and uh, effectively, she's been hired by the membership department 
um, who put on events for people who pay for membership. I think it's like 60 quid a year and you can you get your own events, but equally you can go to any exhibition as many times as you like for free. Right. And having answered emails before, I know one member went to one exhibition 14 times and thought the first 13 times were fantastic, but there were slightly too many people in there the 14th <laughs> time and she'd like to formally make a complaint. So you can really, really run with it, make your money back. Um, but she records the events and intersperses that in the same kind of way that she does with Zedless dead list uh, and then interviews the people who are talking I think every episode comes out the third Wednesday of the month and they've just had the first two and yeah it's well worth a listen it's funny in the way you'd expect from her uh, have you been on her cool. show yet no you no, should, not you, should, you should you should you should ah, absolutely. Mate, I, this, you are this... perfect for the Z-list <laughs> you would know some very obscure people from history that you would actually I know about. who I do too yeah no yeah uh, you should definitely go yeah you should I'm, I'm, I'm not I'll, sure I've got enough academic I'll tell chops it, for that I'll, but. I'll, 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 you don't need that. Like most of the people on our show are comedians. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not funny enough. Yeah, for that. I, that's <laughs> so I guess awkwardly you're be worried about that. But you'll be fine, I reckon. But anyway, I'll, t- I'll, 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 I'll tell her that she she should get you on because you would be a perfect guest for her show. And also, you're like British Museum buddies now. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, no, she's she's really good. I uh, yeah. Again, it's it's like listening to you and listening to her. It's just like, oh, I've got so much to learn. You, you have guys a, are so you've effortless got your with things. your presentation. You're nah, just nah, nah. such good conversationalist and kind of every question is a mini story and yet it's an apt question. It's, well, yeah, I, it's I really know. good. I, mean, I, I do edit my show and so does she. So we can we can make ourselves look a lot better than we are in the moment. I mean, now you've been in the moment, you'll know that. Um, no, but, no, I'm at the but, same conclusion. <laughs> right. But I mean, the thing is, you're learning what how you do it. Yeah. And so you, you're going to be learning completely different stuff to us like you're not going to be the same person as us you can learn from us but you've got like I'm almost excited when I when people are starting starting because they've you know you've got so like it's so exciting all the things you discover on the way uh, to 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 doing doing this doing this kind of I don't know and there's no rules in podcasts no you get to make them you get to think about how you want to do it and actually people should know um, and one of the things that should make them go and listen to your podcast is it's very different from this. It's it's much more kind of this American life kind yeah. of uh, radio lab or whatever. Like it's you know you know you're doing some really nice kind of there's a, there's nice design of the sound, but also the way that you construct the narrations is very like that's why I didn't know that's why I thought it was written because it was yeah. really nicely slotted in in so much things. easier if it was written. <laughs> Well, no, and I, I think you're like so you're at the point where you're going to be hyper aware of every little flaw. Yeah. And when you listen back to a show, I mean, I did I do this all the time. You listen back to a show, you're like, oh, how did I miss that little edit that's wrong? Yeah. And it's like it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Nobody else is listening to it with the same amount of uh, precision as you are. Yeah. And if they are, then they're not enjoying it properly anyway. Yeah, and anybody not, who's that's, sitting there going, comforting. "Where's a bad edit? Where's a bad edit?" And then when it happens, goes, oh, that's taken me so far out of this. I can't, I can't listen to the rest of the story. Anybody yeah. who's in that position, well, that's their choice. That's their way of absorbing art. But hey, I think they're missing out. Yeah. So, and I, I really enjoyed your podcast. So I, I recommend everyone listening should go and listen to that next. Uh, so, yeah. But the last thing I ask my guests to do yep. uh, is to say goodbye to the audience. Oh, well, yeah. Thanks for putting up with me, both, <laughs> both Dave and the rest of you. Well, none of us have put up with you. I think I've certainly enjoyed it. I can't speak for the rest of them, but goodbye, everyone. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like it on Facebook. www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk is one place you can find it. And remember, 
there are lots of ways to get better acquainted. <laughs>